you are tuned into our worship service at Friendship Baptist Church in Mont Alban, Texas. We believe God desires to meet you right now in the hearing of His Word. We are a small town church, but we're seeing a big size God, and we are excited for you to be a part of it today. church because I'm going to say it in just a minute. Welcome and good morning. Um, I just want to say one thing. Uh, Jerry in his absence told me that until my preaching improves, I can't use the big boy pulpit. So this morning, we're going to use the stand here. So just if y'all would put the good word in when he gets back, I'm hoping that today will be good. So uh, first of all, I just want to welcome everybody this morning. Thank you for coming. If we have anybody in here who's a visitor this morning, I just want to make sure you fill out a card so that we can at least visit with you a little bit after church. And uh, and answer any questions you might have, and just love on you a little bit. So thank you if you would please do that. And then also Jacqueline had mentioned, um, I guess everybody had seen these before, the Family Faith Celebration flyers. There were some questions on the back, and it talked about um, if you're an empty nester, 
um, she wanted to get names on that, or if you're a widow or a widower, and then if you also um, would like to be paired with a widow, okay? So um, just wanted to highlight those questions for you this morning. If you didn't fill those out and you think you might be called to do so, please um, grab one. I put a bunch of, a stack of them on the, right where the bulletins are as you come out of the sanctuary back there, okay? So if you would, just grab one of those, please. And then also, I just want to thank our praise team band this morning, too. It is wonderful watching what is going on with these guys. And I know um, I haven't been here that many years, but I know I remember a time when there was a bunch of chairs up here, and some days we had a choir, some days we didn't. You just never kind of knew. Anybody that felt compelled to sing would go up and help out. Um, And it's just awesome. So thank you all. We love you all very much. And um, let's see, the other thing, I just want to pray real quick. I want to pray for Jerry and Jacqueline this morning. Uh, they are, they've been through a lot in the last month. And so the fact that they're over in Greece and walking the steps of Paul, can you imagine? I mean, it just makes me just get emotional just thinking about it. I mean, that's amazing. Paul was such a big part of the Bible and so influential. Think about walking where he walked and actually being right there. It, it just must be incredible. They, they must really be going through a, a great experience. They've been there for about a week, and I think they'll be back middle of this week. So uh, let's just pray for them real quick, if you would. Heavenly Father, I just... Uh, Coming to you this morning, I just want to say, just say thank you. We, uh, we just worship you. We're in awe of all the wonderful things that you're doing. Father, we know that Jerry and Jacqueline have been through a lot in the last month. And Father, we're just so thankful for them. We love our pastor. We love his wife. And we just are so thankful that they're getting this time right now uh, to be able to go out there and, and really recharge and rejuvenate and just spend time worshiping you and really looking at what Paul did as your apostle, just the amazing things that he did. And so we thank you for them and that time together out there. We just ask that you just bless that time for them together and keep them safe as they travel back. And Father, we just thank you for the ability to worship and be here together. There was a time when this church was so small and they thought about building this big old new building, this big church, and people were worried, like, how are we going to fill this place up? And look what you've done. Just look what you have done. We're already outgrowing this place, Father. We just can't wait to see what you have in store going forward. We thank you for that so much and just love you. And it's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen.
Welcome to Friendship Baptist Church. We are so excited that you've decided to join us in our worship service this morning. Whether you're here in person or online, we are so grateful for your presence, that you would come together with your fellow congregation and grow closer in Christ. Let's get right into the announcements. Join us on Sunday nights. On Sunday nights, we have two focuses, find us presence and stay there. Come join us in these special services as we seek the Lord together. Join us on Wednesday nights. Write down any questions that you may have as you read through our Bible reading plan. What a great blessing to grow in the Lord and with other believers. July 30th, Family Sunday and Meal, followed by a talent show. We'll have a meal, bring sandwich, chips, and finger desserts, and talent show following service. We need your talents. Singing, lip signing, stand up, comedy, drama, tricks, special skills, and any other talents. Please email or text Jacqueline if you would like to participate in the talent show. August 3rd, Back to School Bash for Cayuga ISD Pre-K to 12, 5.30, 8pm. Come help us serve our community at our Back to School Bash at Cayuga Cafeteria. We will be giving out school supplies with free hot dogs and snow cones. Contact Amanda Bennett, 214-673-7473. If you'd like to help, would love for you to bring baby wipes, tissues, Kleenex, and quart, quart and gallon baggies. August 5th is the Equip Conference, training and serving the local church. Mark this down whether you're a pastor, a teacher, a volunteer, deacon, or looking for other places to serve. This will be a great conference from 8.45 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Houston. August 6th, Brooke and Jar Jarrett Bennett's Baby Shower, 3 to 5 p.m. Help us love on them as they welcome their baby girl, Laurel Cassie. You can find their registry at babylist.com or amazon.com. August 13th will be Move Up Sunday for our kids and Sunday school classes. August 13th is Family Celebration Sunday. We are looking forward to celebrating the milestone of our families from young to old. Summer Midweek Service Updates for Disciples Fire. May 31st through August 9th, we will pause our midweek meals for the summer. We will have a nursery for three-year-olds and younger. Four-year-olds through fifth grade will remain in the sanctuary with the adults and will have something at the kids' table. Youth will continue to meet through the summer. August 16th, Disciple Fires, back to school night. Come and fellowship outside with your church family as we start back to school. All right, would y'all stand and worship with us?
Good morning, church. Y'all can be seated this morning. One thing I want to start out before I get into the text here in a minute is just thanking y'all so much for your vote for the associate pastor role. Um, this is something totally new for me, and it's the first time in my, my life, and I'm not going to call this a job, it's a calling, but it's the first time I've ever had to learn something so new with so many people watching me. So uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, and I'm going to do some dumb stuff. And if I, there may be days when you see me and I'm so completely squirreled out like this morning that I forgot my, my computer at the house, had to run back during Sunday school. But there may be things that I do and I, you see me going by, it just means that I'm just like focused on something. So anyway, I just want to tell you all how excited I am about this though and how much I just love this new role. This has been awesome. And uh, I miss Jerry. I wish he was here. Thank you very much, Wiley. Um, thank you all. And I, I just... Um, I just one of the things I just want to always make sure is that um, that I just keep in mind that of humility and what an honor this is. You know, this is a privilege to be here. So please know that I understand that and I, I take that very serious. So thank you again. Um, and let's. Um, I just want to pray real quick about that too, Father. I just thank you for for this time together today, and I thank you for this new role, Father. I just ask that you protect this church, no matter what it is, Father. Keep all the things of the world that may drive a wedge between us and this congregation, out of here. Protect this church at all costs, Father. And Father, I just ask that you uh, protect myself and Jerry, of, of all people, Jerry too, and, and just um, allow us to really focus on you and remain as holy as possible under the circumstances here, Father. Just help us to be your instruments. And for this, uh, this sermon today, this is of you. Everything that I'm going to talk about are things you've laid on my heart, and I thank you for that. And just uh, ask that you just help me to touch hearts today with what I'm going to say. Use me as your instrument, as your humble servant. I love you, and I want to be your servant today. So thank you for that. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, ladies, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of y'all in here have heard your husband or your dad say, I still got it? <laughs> I, I'm noticing from the laughs that it, apparently it happens, right? So we love to say that. Us guys love to talk about how great we are and say, tell everybody, I still got it. You know, I still got it. Watch this. Darling, do I still have it? Yes. She says, yes, I do. See? So we older men love to pontificate about the past. We like to talk about our glory days when we were younger. We could work outside in the blazing heat all day long, bail hay all day long, whatever it is, and never had to take a break, right? We were so strong. Our waistlines were so small. I remember back in high school, I wore an 18-inch waist or what, you know, whatever, 28-inch waist. And talk about how the things were so great back then, back in those days. We loved to talk about that. And I can still remember when I was a kid, like when I, I used to play soccer, and, and I know this is weird saying I played soccer, because most people are like, what do you mean soccer? My mother was, I was the last of six kids, and she was very scared I was going to blow out my knee and play in football and would not let me play football. So soccer was it, right? So uh, Anyway, so I was playing soccer, and I remember this time I, I cut through these two defenders, and they grabbed my shirt to try to hold me. I knocked them loose. I ran free, ran down, and tapped in an easy score. And I still remember that play like it was yesterday, y'all. It was poetry. I wish you could have seen it. We didn't have video cameras, or I'd have shown it to you today. But it was awesome. For about 10 seconds, I was probably the best soccer player that ever lived or that, for that little short period of time. And, you know, in our minds, we guys are always thinking, you know, I may be 50 pounds heavier and 30 years older, but... Man, I still got it. You know, I still got it. And uh, you ladies, of course, realize that we're all delusional, right? But you play along with us anyway because you don't want to crush our fragile male egos and make us feel bad about ourselves, right? And I can tell you, I spent a week with the youth at youth camp last week, and I'm here to report that I left here this church thinking I still got it. And folks, I lost it somehow. And <laughs> I don't think it's coming back because Gracie and I were on the same team, and I'm telling you right now, um, she got a chance to see just how bad I was. I was trying to run down a field. And I felt like I was going to fall on my face. I was like this old man just barely going down. It was very humbling to be out there. But many of us over the years have met people who have, they're sort of self-delusional. You know, they think about themselves in a manner that says, you know, I have certain skills. Or they think about themselves in a way that we look at them and we realize, no, that's not really the case. You know, they can't really see themselves for who they are. And back in the business world where I was for so many years, I had some great bosses over the years. And one of my favorite ones, his name was Ed Gay. And he used to talk about employees that had that issue as unconsciously incompetent. That was the wording he used for them. 
And it was that they really couldn't see where their shortcomings were. And so every year we'd review them at the end of the year and we'd really talk through, okay, here's some areas that we'd really like to see you improve. And it, it was almost a shock to them sometimes because they didn't see themselves that way. They, they thought of themselves totally differently than they really were. And it's really hard for all of us to examine ourselves critically. I know I don't like to do it. I've, I get very touchy. If Susan ever criticizes me, you'd think that she's insulted me forever. You know, I get mad. But the truth is, most of the time, she's right. But we need people in our lives who will be honest with us, right? And tell us the reality and help us see ourselves for who we really are in a loving and honest way. And with that in mind, I really want to visit with you this morning about looking critically at your faith and really thinking about where you are in your walk with God. And I'm not up here to beat up anybody or offend them. I just simply want to read scripture that God's laid on my heart for this week and really apply it to your lives, okay? And let me begin by saying this. We have some wonderful godly men and women in this church who their lives are gospel testimonies. And I live next door to two of them, so I can tell you that firsthand. Um, However, we all know people who are lukewarm in their faith. People who either uh, have, say they're Christian, but really don't act, their, their actions don't really prove that, or they just flat out don't believe. And there's also folks who, you know, of course, call themselves Christians, and they are, they're living their lives in a way that really you wonder sometimes, right? And my prayer for this morning is that God will touch their hearts in a way that will begin to change their lives and bear amazing fruit, okay? And our scripture for today is from the book of James, and it addresses this very topic of self-delusion in terms of our faith. And I'll just start by saying this too. I believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. I believe every word in that Bible is true without errors, okay, period. Now, I will say this. I don't always understand what's in in the Bible, but I just feel that God hasn't revealed that to me yet, okay? James says that we can't become mature in our faith unless we are regular readers, receivers, and doers of God's Word. And in these verses that I'm about to read to you here in a minute, he makes it clear that if you aren't reading and receiving and doing God's word, you're deceiving yourself. That's his his take on that. And a little bit about James. Um, There's a lot of people in the Bible named James, but it's widely believed that the person who wrote the book of James was actually Jesus' half-brother. And for the young ones in here, why was he his half-brother? Anybody? Because God was his daddy, right? That's right. So um, he was his own half-brother. And amazingly, James, during Jesus' lifetime and his ministry on earth, did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe that. And you you think, his own brother? I mean, that's crazy to me, right? And then I think about, well, I grew up in a large family, and, you know, what was it like, you know, for my brothers, I was the spoiled one because I was the youngest. What was it like, you know, watching their brother Jesus who just always had to have seemed like the golden child, right? He couldn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm speculating here, but I, I wonder if there may have been some jealousy during that time. Um, can you imagine being Jesus' brother? I, I don't even know how that would have been. Um, and it was only after G- Jesus came and appeared to James after the resurrection that he then believed in him and was convinced that Christ was truly the Savior at that point. And James, after that time, after Jesus appeared to him, was so, he was just so overwhelmed by the whole experience that he spent his knees, he spent time from that time on, on his knees in the temple praying to God that he would forgive the Jews for what they'd done to Jesus. And he actually developed a nickname called Old Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that they became calloused and looked like that of a camel. And boy, wouldn't that be a great problem for all of us to have, right? For they have that nickname. Um, he, just, he was just that convicted by it. He later became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote this letter, this epistle is what it's called, to address some of the problems in the church. And one of those problems was the failure of many people to live their lives that was consistent to what they said and professed to have believed. They talked one way, but they lived their lives a different way, right? And it really boiled down to a lack of spiritual maturity. And doesn't that sound exactly like what we run into today, Right? with so many of us. I know I get in that rut sometimes too. Uh, And so let's get into the scripture. Um, We're going to be looking at verses, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And starting off in James, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's beautiful. And that takes us to our first point really for today, which is this. We must receive the word. Okay? The text says, be quick to hear. And the first time I read that, I thought, what does it mean to be quick to hear? I hear at one speed. I talk fast, and if I'm talking too fast for you, I'd ask you to speed up your hearing just a little bit so you can stay with me. 
But, um, yeah, I tend to talk kind of fast. But what does it mean, you know, to be quick to hear? What does that mean? And there's so many times that I've read things, and then 30 seconds later, I couldn't even tell you what I just read. It's kind of like driving to work, and you don't remember the route, right? You don't remember anything that happened. Um, same thing happens when we're reading. Maybe my mind was wandering. Maybe I just didn't understand the words. But James is saying here that you should be eagerly anticipating and actively hearing God's word. Be quick to hear. Now, has anybody in here ever been in sales? Have you ever done a sales role before? It's a few people. Darcy, I know you do. Um, and so one of the things, I used to manage a lot of salespeople for a lot of years and train tons of them. We, they'd spend a week with me and we'd talk all about our products and services. And then we'd take them out in the field and start riding with them. And one of the first things I noticed about most salespeople that were just new to, the, new to sales was that they tended to talk too much and listen too little. And they would learn all about our stuff and they got so excited and then they would go out and see a customer and they would just call what we, I used to call it feature puking. They would just blah, everything they knew on a customer without actually asking them, hey, tell me what's important to you before I tell you what I can do for you, right? They didn't really get to, get to see what was important to the other customer. They were quick to speak and slow to hear. And conversely, a great example of being quick to hear is when Jesus walked by and talked to the disciples. And we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Wasn't planning that, but again, that's just God at work there. But when he came by and he told the disciples, follow me, did they mess around and say, ah, Jesus, you know, this isn't a good week. I'm sorry. You know, I'm really busy at the office this week or doing a lot of fishing out here or, you know, my kids are playing uh, summer ball and I'll get back with you in the fall, or we spend our weekends at the lake, or, you know, whatever it is. You just insert, insert one of a million excuses of why they couldn't follow him. No, they didn't do that. They dropped what they were doing, yes, Lord, and followed him. As simple as that. <clears throat> no excuses. They were very quick to hear. And the scripture also says to receive with meekness the implanted word. And when I hear that word implanted, it reminds me of the parable of the sower, which everybody who's read the Bible knows that. They've heard it, right? And probably tell me more about it. Um, but he talks about a sower going out to sow seeds, right? And depending on where the seeds land, they either grow or they die, right? Some seeds fell on the path and were eaten by birds. That's Satan basically taking them. Um, some seeds fell on poor rocky soil. And it would begin to grow fast, but then under the heat of the sun, it would wither away and die. Some seeds fell among the thorny plants and were choked out by the weeds. Some seeds fell on fertile ground and grew fruitfully. Okay? Of course, the parable is really talking about God's word as the seed, right? And our hearts as the soil. And Jesus talks about, or James, I'm sorry, says, talks about four types of different hearts in here. Or Jesus does, I'm sorry. If you'll go, yeah, there it is. So there's the hard heart. And that's a heart that doesn't really understand God's word. There's no fruit there. They just, they don't understand it. It'd be similar to Pharaoh when Moses was trying to pull the Israelites out of Egypt and he just wasn't having it. And God hardened his heart. Same deal. Then there's shallow hearts, highly emotional people that have no depth or no fruit that really comes from that. They're people who feel an emotional connection with God, but then when, when life starts to bear, or to uh, give them challenges and setbacks, they sort of fade away, right? That's an immature Christian. And then there's crowded hearts. And those are folks who lack repentance. They're people who, uh, they lack repentance and, won't permit, and they permit sin to fill their lives. And if you remember, we talked before, I thought it was really interesting, talked about that term fillability that I was telling you about that I heard from that pastor. And it really is. It boils down to clearing the sin out of your life and allowing God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you come to church, you hear the word, but it really doesn't change your heart or your marriage or whatever your issue is, your addiction, whatever's going on. And you're just not allowing the Holy Spirit to really walk through you. So that would be the crowded heart. And then finally, we have the fruitful heart, which is someone who receives the word, it implants in their heart, it transforms that person, and they begin to produce fruit. And that's when people are like, man, I just feel the Holy Spirit all over that guy. Y'all have met people that have the Holy Spirit in them, and we've got plenty in here, and you can just see the difference in their lives that it makes. And so I want to ask you this morning, which of these hearts describes you? Where are you at in your faith walk? And are you receiving and allowing God to fill your heart and work through you? And the, resultful, the result of a fruitful life, like I just mentioned, is a changed heart. You're a different person. And uh, <clears throat> Romans 10, 17 says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You can't become a changed person if you're unwilling to give up the sin that are holding you back in your life. Now, in this verse, James also addresses the topic of anger when he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
And Proverbs 14, 29 says this, and man, this is just awesome. Whoever is patient and has great, or has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Now, how many of us in here have lost our temper before? I know there's a bunch of them. I certainly have plenty of times. We all have, right? <clears throat> there was a guy I went to high school with, and I was looking, uh, for some reason I, I had heard about it through, I think I went to our high school page one day, and they were talking about a fellow that we'd all gone to school with, and he had been in Houston. He lived in Houston and was going to work, you know, crowded freeways, got in a road rage incident with somebody. And apparently they were going back and forth and doing all this stuff, and then the traffic stopped, and they had to stop their cars. And he jumped out of his car, <clears throat> ran back, and apparently was going to fight the other guy, who, of course, pulled out a weapon and killed him right there on the spot. I mean, just on their way to work, of all the things, you think about that, we're all shaking our heads thinking, how senseless. What in the world? Why would somebody do that? And we think about just how ridiculous something that is in the grand scheme of things. Why would they get so angry over something on the road? You know, but I got to tell you, there were times in my life when I used to get so mad when somebody was tailgating me, and I couldn't see the back, like the hood of their car, they're right up on your tail, and it makes you so angry, and I would pull my truck off the road, let them pass, and then I'd whip back over real quick, like I'm going to take the back of their car off, like I'm going to teach them some kind of lesson. And as Mrs. Neal would tell you, that is dumb, 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 all right? So just imagine what people would say today, though, if they saw me or one of the rest of us in here that are in church, and they know we are, and they say, who is that guy? Isn't that guy, doesn't he go to Friendship Baptist Church, or isn't he, isn't he a pastor at Friendship Baptist? Oh, my goodness, you know, what are they going to say when they see that, right? And so there's a difference in, in a saved Christian. We need to be separate from the world and show up differently, okay? Um, <clears throat> And remember what the scripture says. It says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you really start to think about it that way, that people are watching us and how you behave and your actions are things that are going to impact everyone around you in a good, positive way or in a negative way. So it really makes a difference. So Ms. Ruby, no road raging, if you would, please. So, <laughs> so that night when Jesus was arrested, Peter was slow to, slow to hear, swift to speak, and swift to anger. Okay, he drew his sword out. He cut off the ear of Malchus, who was the, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked him and said, put away your sword. Am I not to drink of the cup that the Father has given me? And by letting his anger get the best of him, Peter sinned by almost committing murder, right? And also he interrupted God's plans. But surely Peter in that case thought, man, I'm being, I love my friend. I'm being devoted to him. And he was defending Jesus and didn't want to see him get arrested. However, as Christians, it isn't our place to settle scores. That's a hard one to swallow. But Dwayne, I had to teach that person a lesson. They were out there driving recklessly, and we got to show them that's not right, right? In Romans 12, 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Y'all have heard that verse before, right? Yeah, I'm not saying that we should never get angry now, y'all. That's the deal here. You should, you should get angry. Anytime we sin, see sin, we should hate sin. And Psalm 97.10 says this, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hands of the wicked. But we have to be very careful not to let our anger cause us to sin too. Okay, Unchecked anger can give the devil a foothold in our lives. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And actually, when I asked Skip to marry Susan, he said that very thing, do not ever go to bed when you've been fighting until you, until you make it right. Now, unfortunately, I don't think Susan heard that message because she would go to sleep mad, and then I'd be sitting there all night waiting until the next day so I could get, it, get after it with her again and start complaining. But, but I'm playing. I, this is a great chance I can get up here. I never realized the joy that Jerry gets from talking about his wife when he's standing up here. This is awesome. This is really awesome. So don't let the sun go down on your anger, y'all. We must be especially careful not to get angry also at God's word. There's times we read things in the Bible and it can really uh, get us worked up a little bit. And, you know, rather than get angry, we need to read, read that as looking at things that are necessary to make changes in our lives to remove sin. And um, many times we don't want to face those sins, right? They're things that are, for whatever reason, we hold on to. And anger is exactly the opposite of the patience that God is trying to produce in us as we mature in our faith. 
And James gives us three key characteristics of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. First, we should be joyful in the midst of life's difficulties. Now, most of you all know that uh, my father-in-law, Skip, who's actually here today, I didn't know he's coming today, but uh, I'm going to talk about him anyway, that he um, he's, has lung cancer, and he's faced with fighting that, and it's serious. And when the day was there that he did his procedure, Susan and I were met with the doctors before he came out of the recovery room, and we heard the news. And um, it was difficult, to say the least. We were upset. We cried. We wondered, like, you know, what are we going to do? How do we tell him this? What do we say? You know, I mean, what do you do? I, I mean, you just, you've never been faced with something like that. This is her daddy, you know, and he's, he's my father-in-law. And how do we tell him that? And he woke up, and we told him the news, and he thought about it. And by the next day when I went to see him, he said, you tell those people in the church not to cry for me. He said, God's known the number of the days I have on this earth since I was in my mother's womb. And I am thankful and joyful, and I praise God. No sorrow, no woe is me, no, oh my goodness, you know, none of that stuff. No, no tears, joy, absolute joy. Now that is a man who's strong in his faith. It's amazing. I'm sorry. It's amazing to see that, and I just love him for that. He's been a great example for me. And second... <clears throat> The mature Christian should be successful in overcoming temptation. That person is being led by the Spirit, and they've learned to resist the urge to give in to their temptations. We all have temptations. We are all tempted to sin. That's always going to be part of being on this earth. But as you walk with God and you get Jesus in your heart, you begin to become stronger. That's what, the, that's what your faith will do for you. It doesn't mean you're never going to stumble again. It just means your faith is getting stronger. And the Holy Spirit is leading your life, okay? And then last, James says that the mature Christian should be a doer of the Word, not just a reader or a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. And that's the key message for us today, okay? You can't be a mature Christian if you're not actually doing what you're reading, right? We're reading the Bible. We're hearing the Word. You come and get sermons, but you got to do what you hear, right? That's part of it. And if you're not regularly reading the Bible, then how are you going to know what God's telling you to do, right? So again, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying, let's look in the mirror and think critically today. James also talks in these verses about preparing your heart to hear the word. He says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, which of course is sin. So we can receive the word with humility. <clears throat> and it's so important. And using James's reference to the heart as soil, just think about what will happen if we don't confess our sins and repent and change. You're going to grow weeds in there instead of fruit, right? So <clears throat> that soil will bear weeds. And if you're not clearing your heart from sin and allowing the word to grow inside you with meekness and humility, James says in, this, in the text that you are kidding yourself. You're, you're fooling yourself. And James says that if you'll humbly receive and implant God's word, it will save our souls. And ultimately, isn't that what we all want? We want to go to heaven, right? We want to see all of our friends and family that are in heaven and be with Jesus for, the, for eternity. That's, that's our promise, right? In James 1, 24, he says, 122 through 24, he says, be, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And that takes us to our next point, which is this. We must practice the word, okay? James says it's not enough to simply hear the word. we got to be doers of the word, too. My daughter Katie and I have very similar personalities. And back when she lived at the house, she and I would fight like cats and dogs. I mean, we'd argue, we'd get into it about everything. Y'all probably got teenagers that y'all have. Some of yours are grown, but you were the same way. You had those things happen. And, you know, it was... It was so bad that I could not wait for that kid to leave and go off to school. I was counting the days, y'all. I was like, how many more days till she's gone? And then, of course, the day she left, within about 30 minutes, I was crying, wishing she was back. So it was kind of one of those things, you know. And, and anyone who has raised teenagers knows that they never seem to really be hearers or doers of our word at all, right? And Susan and I would do the laundry, my daughter Katie, we didn't ask much of her. She was the last one left at home, and... And so the only thing I really would get onto her about was I'd, we'd wash clothes, I'd take the basket in her room, 
open up the door and I'd say, hey, here's your clothes. I'd knock, or throw, put it on the floor, say, fold these clothes, put them away. And what does a kid say to you? Okay, right? She'd answer. So a couple days would pass. And some reason I'm going back by there. I'd stick my head over in her room and be like, I'd see that basket of clothes sitting on the floor. I mean, hadn't moved, nothing changed. And I'd be like, start yelling at her. Like, what are you doing? I told you to put those clothes away. I cannot believe that you still got these clothes laying out here. And so, you know, right after that, suddenly those clothes disappear. And I'm thinking, well, finally, she did what I told her, right? You're pretty, feeling pretty good about it. The kid finally listened to me. Well, <clears throat> what I didn't realize was she'd been living out of that clothing basket all that time. She'd just get ready for school, pick whatever she wanted, you know, and put it on. Out the door she goes. And then when I'd pick on her and yell at her about it, she'd take that basket of clothes and she'd just go dump them in the dirty clothes hamper. And then she'd continue to live out of the dirty clothes hamper until we'd come get all her clothes and go wash them again. And so I used to tell Susan, I'm like, man, that kid goes through a lot of clothes. I don't even see her wearing them half the time. It's unbelievable how many clothes she uses. And so, but then finally it dawned on me. I started watching and I was like, wait a minute. And I realized that she had fooled me all this time and that kid outsmarted me and I'm still spicy about it all these years later. And someday when she has kids, I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna buy them all kinds of percussion instruments, really noisy things for her. And I will get even with her. I didn't get outsmarted often, but boy, she got me on that one. So, you know, we want our kids to be hearers and doers of our words. But the reality of it is, at that age, they're just not mature a lot of times. They really haven't grown enough to understand why we want them to do certain things and the discipline that comes from that, right? That's immaturity, not only as a, as a child, but when we look at it as our faith, it's kind of the same thing there, right? We're immature sometimes in our faith. Now, I know that looking at these verses... You might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Paul told us in Ephesians that we're supposed to be saved through faith and not works, right? That's what Katie would have probably told me at the time about her clothes, right? Um, but of course, that's true. However, James is telling us here that, uh, that if we truly implant God's word in our heart, it will result in action. It's involuntary um, because we're going to do what we heard, right? And that's the reality of the situation. It's this, the responsibility of those who hear, and this is heavy right here, the responsibility of those who hear is far greater than those who have never heard. And, I'm, that's what, and I love that because I was thinking about that, and there's, a, there's a, it's almost like a heaviness that comes with, you know that when you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean your life's going to be easy street, right? There's times we're going to get persecuted for our beliefs, and we're called on to spread the gospel. That's a heavy, uh, that's a heavy calling. And so we need to be mindful of that at all times, right? Now, in verses 19 20 through 21, James talked about kind of the implanting, used that seed reference that was going on there. And now, in these verses, he talks about God's word as a mirror. And so, we're, we use mirrors to reflect our image. I don't like looking in the mirror, i got to tell you, at this point in my life, it doesn't look like it used to anymore when I looked in the mirror. But, but that mirror, when you look at it, it reflects reality to you, right? And so, we need to be able to use God's word in that same way. And James tells us that we have to look critically at ourselves in terms of our sins and not make the mistake of just glancing and immediately forgetting what we see. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, So all of us who've had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Man, it's beautiful. Now, I've had two bouts of skin cancer in my life. Um, that's why you may see I've got a divot somewhere on my forehead and my nose looks like a got the Grand Canyon down here on the end of it. That's when they had to cut that thing out of there. It was, it was kind of spooky, but um, two of them. And so since that time, I'll go in usually every few years and get a skin check. Some of y'all may have had that done before. You go and see your dermatologist and man, they look over your arms. I mean, there's somebody just looking at every square inch, right? They check your arms. They look at your front, your back. They're looking at your legs, everything to try to really see if you have any more spots that may be uh, cancerous that are coming up. They literally look at your whole body. And in a way, that's what James is referring to when we use the Bible as a mirror, right? We can just quickly read the Word and not absorb it, or we can carefully look over the Bible and really examine it and implant that in our hearts. And it's the difference, to use that analogy that I'm using, of maybe doing a selfie versus an MRI, right? Much more in-depth, and that's the way we should be examining the Bible when we read it. However, it's not enough to simply just read the Word. I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again to read the Word and realize our flaws. It's not enough to do that. We have to actually obey what the Bible's telling us to do. And that's where the blessing comes in. The blessing is not just being fed, but it's actually going out and obeying and doing what God tells us to do. That's the blessing that comes from that. And that leads us to our final verses for today, which is this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, 
the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Man, that, that unstained from the world part, that's difficult, right? And that leads us to our last point, which is this. We must share the world, the word, sorry. Share the word, not the world. Um, James addresses the tongue throughout his letter, which means it was probably a pretty big deal back at that time, right? And of course, it's still a serious issue today, right? And the Bible has many verses warning us about bridling the tongue. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What comes out of our mouth reveals what's truly in our heart. And James goes so far as to say that if we claim to have Christ, but we are exposing ourselves differently through our words, our religion is worthless. The bottom line is this, if we're going to talk the talk, y'all, we got to walk the walk, right? And finally, I want to close with this. James tells us to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. And after we've examined ourselves in the mirror of God's word, we need to look outside of ourselves and love others. That's where the, the blessing comes in, right? We are in the world, but we must not be of the world. And so <clears throat> the best way to minister to others is for Christians to maintain a level of separation from the world. And I don't mean don't interact with the world, but we don't get dragged into some of the things that goes on there. And we have to be different in a way that shines the Holy Spirit through our words and our deeds. And as you might imagine, that's no easy task, right? And I just spent a week at, <clears throat> at youth camp, and the theme there was in His image. And they were telling the kids that each of them was created perfectly in God's image. And that no matter, you know, kids are so bad, and we all are, about picking ourselves apart and wishing we, my nose was smaller, or, you know, I had more muscle, or I was taller, or I was shorter, or I had blonde hair or brown hair. I mean, we can think of a million reasons that we don't like ourselves, especially as kids, right? And <clears throat> they were telling them when they look in the mirror, they need to see God's beautiful creation. And I thought that was a great message for them. And the world tries to corrupt our youth. Social media is horrible about that. And I was so proud of how many young people in our, in our youth group not only are knowledgeable about the Bible, y'all, they are amazing. You should ask them and hear some of them talk sometimes. They are amazing in their knowledge of the Bible, and they are literally seeking God daily. It is beautiful to see that, and I'm so proud of our youth. Gabby, all you guys, I'm seeing Gabby in here. I'm looking. There's Macy over there, too. Macy, I'm proud of y'all, too. You know, it's just amazing the kiddos that we have in this church. So thank y'all. It's wonderful. And... Um, James is warning us today that really we just have to mature in our faith. That is the bottom line. Our faith must be more than just superficial acts or occasionally looking at the Bible, the Word. He says genuinely mature Christians live their faith by, daily by putting the Word into practice and their lives are marked by a love for others and a level of holiness that separates them from the world. We all need to look in the mirror of God's Word and be honest with ourselves about what we see in there and what may be lacking in our faith. What, conf um, what unconfessed sins, and I'll ask you all this now too, what unconfessed sins do you have in your heart that maybe you need to, to give up today? Give them to God so that you, um, He can transform you and let that Holy Spirit really fill you up, right? It's important. And James says if we're not being honest, we're just deceiving ourselves. Now in just a minute, I'm going to call the, the praise team up to come and, um, and, and sing again. I'm going to do a final prayer here first. Um, but before I do that, <clears throat> I feel like it's important that any time I'm here and standing up here in front of you, that I share the gospel and that I speak about that because I remember before I came to Christ for many years, there were times I walked in a church and I was there for whatever reason because somebody wanted me to visit with them or even though I wasn't going to church, nobody had ever really explained that to me. And I just feel called. And so um, I feel like it's important that we, that we go through that. And using Tony, words, Tony Wolf's words, who came and preached to us that time, I love the way he described it. And he said it this way, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserved on the cross to bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. They took his lifeless body off that tree and buried him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, just as Scripture foretold, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, sealing victory over sin and death and hell, not just for himself, but for you and me and anyone who will call on his name and believe in him through the generations. What a gift! What a gift, y'all. That's why we're here. That's why we worship God. That's why we love Jesus. 
is what God did for us, right? We didn't earn it. We didn't ask for it. He gave that to us. And it's so important that we understand that. And that's why we give our hearts to Christ. Okay? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> just come to you this afternoon. I just want to pray for the, the unsaved out there, Father. I want to pray for all of those in this church today who may feel like they have religion in their head and they just wish they had more in their heart, Father. They just have you in there. Father, we have some wonderful folks in this church who are such great spiritual leaders. And Father, I just ask that you use them in a, in a way to really touch hearts by sharing your message with others. And Father, I just pray that anybody that needs to hear that message and who may be looking in the mirror today of God's word and saying, I'm unsure about my faith. I don't, I don't really know that I'm, really, that I'm doing all I need to be doing. Uh, come up and confess that. Father, I'm here. The, the, the rest of the church is available. And Father, we just want those folks to feel like they have cleared up any misunderstandings or any problems with them in their heart and that they can fully and, and wholly accept you and be your servant, Father. We just thank you for that gift of salvation. And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today, and we trust that you were blessed by an almighty God that loves you. Friendship loves you as well, and if you would like to talk to someone, please call the church at 903-549-2542. Again, that is 903-549-2542. God bless you.